So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, it would be helpful if you turn to it. There's Bibles available if you put up your hand. Jamie will give you a Bible if you don't have one. And turn to 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. One of the, Paul's letters to the churches. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and then one from there. If you flick through you'll find 1 Corinthians in chapter 11. And we're thinking about this word today, communion. It's a word, I mean, who's familiar with the word communion? Everybody? It's a term we've heard, we've maybe hear, heard a lot. <clears throat> we've thought about it a lot. So today we're just going to focus in, in more detail on what the, what the Bible would teach us about communion from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But just as we start, I once heard an illustration, and it was about a church who regularly met together so if you imagine a scenario like this here today they met together regularly for you know we're good at meetings in church aren't we we have lots of meetings outreach meetings where we try and help people uh, find Jesus teaching meetings where we come around to the Bible so this church they had teaching meetings they had outreach meetings they had communion services they were having fellowship time and social time together all of these things are good but all the while, while this church was meeting, going in and out of this church building, all the while there was a stranger standing at the back of the hall, and I don't mean Jamie. Uh, yeah. and, but there was a stranger just standing at the back of the hall watching the proceedings as this church came in and out every week, Sunday by Sunday, and did all the things that churches do. And this went on for some period of time, quite an extended period of time. Until eventually somebody got curious and went up to this man and said to the man, Who are you? And the man said, I am Jesus. And I'm waiting here for somebody to come to meet with me. I'm waiting for somebody to come and meet with me. And if you think about <clears throat> church life, sometimes it can be a bit of a routine, can't it? We can go in and out, we can sing songs, we can be taught from the word of God. It can become somewhat of a dead routine sometimes. While all the time, the most important person in the room is left standing at the back of our minds. We're not focused on him. We're not thinking about him. I mean, that's why we're singing songs today like, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord is moving in this place. Now I'm challenging my own heart with this. See when somebody preaches sermons to you, they don't preach to you, they preach to themselves because God's word preaches to us all. So remember that when I'm speaking today. But I just feel the Lord would impress on us, He is here. He's within us as believers and often we don't focus on Him enough, don't we not? And then when we gather together, He is here in a special way. What does the scripture tell us? Where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. Isn't that special? Scripture that tells us the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Do we feel that? I praise the Lord and praise the Lord. And I'm going to read about the Corinthian church and I'm not suggesting new beginnings is like the Corinthian church. But there are aspects of it we need to learn all of us as believers 
and it's good. I think the Lord's doing a wonderful work here as a fellowship. But just to focus my heart and all of our hearts, let's focus on the Lord when we come to meet on a Sunday. When we come into the fellowship, let's have Jesus at the front of our minds. Because that's the whole point of meeting, isn't it? Isn't it? We're coming to meet with Jesus. And that's what connects us to each other. So it's possible at times we can go through church, we can almost start going through the motions without really gathering to meet the Lord, without really focusing on Him. So today, as I said, I'd like to speak about communion. It's also known as other terms like the Lord's Supper in churches. And later on in the service, we're going to be take, have the opportunity to take part in, together in communion. But it's really important to understand the meaning of communion, to know what the Bible teaches about it, and our responsibility in relation to this communion. <clears throat> I looked up the dictionary definition for communion, and it says this. An act, the act or an instance of sharing. The act or an instance of sharing. As of thoughts... Or feelings. Religious or spiritual fellowship. So the act of sharing. And even the dictionary recognises one of the primary meanings of the word communion is religious and spiritual fellowship. So again we're looking at what the Bible teaches today about Christian communion. And first of all, it's really important, the reason I say Christian communion is you need to be a Christian to have communion, to partake of this communion. The Bible is very, very clear on that. It wouldn't really make any sense to take part in a communion with the Lord Jesus if we didn't know him. If so to speak, he was standing at the back of the room and we'd never asked him into our lives. How could we then enter into taking of fellowship with him, a right relationship with him the very terms as we said of the Lord's the Lord's Supper or communion, that fellowship indicate that we need to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus in order to be able to share in this communion And the only way to have a right relationship with Jesus is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So we personally need to invite Jesus into our hearts as our Lord, as our Saviour and that involves confessing our sins to the Lord. And if you've ever done that once If you've ever seriously came to the Lord Jesus and you've genuinely believed he's God and you believe he's died for your sins and you've confessed, confession is important, you've confessed your sins to the Lord, I'm wrong. These things I've done are wrong. And I ask you to forgive me my sins and I ask you to be my Lord. Enter my life. I invite you in. You're a Christian when you do that. You're in a right relationship with God because Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins on the cross. And that's where we're going to focus in more detail. So it's something that a child can do. It's something that any age we can do. We've spoken about it today, but we need to be born into the family of God. 
before we can partake of this act of communion. That's really, really important. It's also very important for Christians. We explain that to people, not only in church gatherings, but also if we're talking to new people coming in and various things, just to make sure that's absolutely clear. Because we wouldn't want anybody to be confused about these things either. So, when we are in a right relationship with God, as in we've trusted him as our saviour, we receive this command from the Lord that we've been reading about today. We read about it there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's also outlined in the Gospels, which is the account of Jesus' life, and the witnesses, the disciples who recorded those accounts. And we read there that Jesus instructed his disciples, all those who trusted him and believed in him, to remember him in this way that we're, we're looking at today, this way of communion. What he did was he shared with them the Passover meal, which is a Jewish feast, which, was, which they observed, they were commanded to observe by God ever since the people of God in Israel were delivered from slavery in Egypt. I'm not going to get into any more depth than that, but if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see this pattern of a Passover lamb a lamb being sacrificed to cover the sins of the people of God. And that they were to continue this um, and the Passover was a special celebration uh, where a lamb would still, if you read through history, in the time of Jesus, they would have a a time of day in the afternoon. I read somewhere 3pm in the afternoon, which is apparently, if this is true, the same time that Jesus was crucified, where they would go through and they would sacrifice a lamb on behalf of the sins of the people. Now it's important to remember how visual all of that is, isn't it? It's very visual. And how the Lord will often use visual things in order to reveal to us a spiritual truth that's really important. So they had this visual representation. But we also read in the Old Testament the prophets were constantly predicting that things weren't always going to be this way. That there was going to be a coming Messiah. And he was going to be the Passover lamb for the sins of the whole world. That he would in fact take away the sins of the world for all who would trust in him. That's predicted all throughout. So you get the symbolism of the Passover meal. Looking forward to the, to the, isn't this beautiful? Looking forward to the Lord coming. Looking forward to the great Passover lamb who would come to sacrifice his own self. For our sins. So in a way God's using visual demonstration there. All the way through the Old Testament. To teach his people. Your king is coming. I'm coming. God himself is coming. To be our Passover lamb. And there's a picture there. If you think about the people in Egypt. Where were they? They were in slavery. They were in slavery by an enemy. And through... This Passover, this lamb being sacrificed, God used this to demonstrate his deliverance so that the people who were in slavery to an enemy were set free from that enemy, free to worship God, free to be able to live for God. And it's the same when we come to Jesus, but it's greater than that. See, when we don't know Jesus as our Saviour, we're enslaved by an enemy. We're enslaved by an enemy. Satan himself. We're born into sin. We're born in the enemy camp. But God does not want us to stay that way. 
just like he delivered his people out of physical slavery in Egypt. It's a visual demonstration of what he wants to do for every single person. He wants to deliver us from the hands of Satan and the kingdom of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. Isn't that very, very good? Now you say, why is it in that way? Well, it's that, it's that way that we're born in sin because the first people on earth sinned. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and they are our ultimate parents, earthly speaking. So as a consequence of their sin, natural children born from that day until now are born into sin. But God doesn't want it to be that way, just the same way as he didn't want his people to be caught in slavery in Egypt. He does not want anybody to be in slavery to sin. He does not want us, I'll just repeat that again, God doesn't want anybody to be in slavery to sin. And sin is a barrier between us and God. Praise the Lord, over the last few weeks there have been some people, uh, at least one instance of somebody giving their heart to Jesus for the first time here in this local fellowship. It's such an important thing. And as we were talking about it, it was about there's a gap between us and God. And that gap is sin. We need that dealt with. And there's an illustration just of the cross being in the middle of that gap. That Jesus bridges that gap through the cross. Through his sacrifice for us once and for all time. If we trust in him, what he's done for us, sin is dealt with. It's taken away and replaced by a cross. That bridges and connects us to God. Isn't that wonderful? And every time somebody comes into the kingdom, there are angels rejoicing in heaven. There's Christians rejoicing on earth, and the person's going, Why did I not do this before? <laughs> this is a wonderful relationship I've now experienced. Have you ever heard somebody saying, When they've done this, they can feel something inside? Have you ever felt that something inside? If you have, good. If you haven't, you can. That's the presence of God within you. So I'm just challenging you today. If you don't know what that is, ask someone about it. Ask somebody you're you're comfortable asking, or me. And don't go away without knowing that deliverance from sin. But it's an illustration. Just think and focusing on that Passover feast. So when Jesus came, he fulfilled the meaning, the full meaning of the Passover meal. The bread and the cup are symbols used to represent the body of the Lord given for us and the blood of the Lord shed for us. These are visual reminders to help us focus on the true meaning behind them. Remember how I was talking before about visual reminders that are helpful for us in order to be able to understand a deeper truth. So this isn't, we are not to think of this as the actual body of God or the actual blood of God because his body was broken on the cross one time and his blood was shed one time on the cross once and for all time it says in the book of Hebrews. But these are visual reminders and very helpful reminders, aren't they, of, of Jesus' body which was broken for us and his blood which was shed for us. 
sometimes I, I quite like having the full bread so that you can see what it's like to break it and pass it and experience the we are sharing in the body of Christ not the physical body of Christ we're not believing it's actually the body of Christ but it's representing his body it's a symbol which really helps us focus spiritually on, on the Lord and on remembering his sacrifice for each one of us <clears throat> so this helps us focus rather than the Lord so to speak being at the back of the room the Lord's central and never more central is the Lord Jesus Christ than at the table of the Lord's table. With these visual, powerful reminders that have been given to us for this very purpose. <clears throat> and these symbols help us proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Because the Lord died. Three days later he rose again. And that's why I love this particular banner here because it shows, depicts a cross but it also says Jesus lives and it's because he lives today that we can face tomorrow as the hymn says and what is tomorrow we're told in the scriptures that this is a, this is a temporary thing this meeting to remember the Lord until he comes again because the Lord one day whether we die first and go to be with the Lord or whether we're still here the Bible tells us clearly Jesus is coming back what is he coming back to do? He's coming back to wrap up things and make all things new. A new heaven and a new earth. Not the one we currently have. That's stained with sin. And stained with the failures of men and women. That's a good thing to look forward to. These are promises of God. And also we need to remember as well that he's with us now. That he's alive. He lives within us. The hymn, say, hymn writer says, He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. If we're a believer in Jesus, he lives within our heart. The Holy Spirit of God is within us fellowshipping with us <clears throat> so again communion the description an act or an instance of sharing thoughts or feelings religious or spiritual fellowship so let's just turn to the, the passage in Corinthians it should become clearer why it's so important first of all to be a believer in Jesus as we've outlined I think hopefully we can see that today how important it is to be right with God because if we're not right with God our sins have not been dealt with and we're, we're going to hell the Bible teaches clearly if we don't repent and we don't confess our sins we're going to hell but God again doesn't want that to be the case he wants us to be saved from hell and delivered into heaven through faith in Jesus and that door's open wide open to each one of us today to receive that <clears throat> so the Apostle Paul's writing to new believers in this church at Corinth in the first century they had trusted they'd taken the first step of trusting the Lord as their saviour and then they'd been taught the instructions and one of those clear commands of the Lord was to meet around the table but there was something wrong at the church there was something quite badly wrong 
And Paul was writing into the, the situation. One of the most troubling things that was happening was the way in which the people were meeting together. And he actually says, and I've got the wee heading there, they were doing more harm than good. Paul said to them, I don't have any praise for you in this area, for your meetings are doing more harm than good. Quite a strong statement. So why is he saying the meetings aren't doing any good? They're doing more harm than good. Well, firstly, because there are divisions amongst the people in the church. Divisions in the church are a serious problem. Why would we think that divisions in the church are a serious problem? Because the church is a body. The church is the body of Christ. Believers in Jesus, we've talked about it earlier on, are the family of God, part of the body of Christ. The church. Which also means we're joined together as one body. You understand that? It's quite a high thought, but it's a wonderful thought. Joined as a body of fellow believers. Now in order to make that possible, Jesus' body was first broken for us. So that we could become part of the body of Christ. Jesus' body was broken for us first. So that we could then become part of the body of Christ. Remember the Lord Jesus, verse 23. On the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If we read what the Lord went through in order to achieve this body, the church, his body was broken and bruised for us. In Isaiah 53, you don't need to turn to it, I'll read it to you. Isaiah 53 and verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. That's our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. I am the Lord that healeth thee. His body was broken in order that we could be whole again. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sins of us all. This is what God has done for us. A demonstration of his love for us individually. And the door's open, folks. There's no excuse for any of us when we go before the Lord one day. And when he says, why didn't you trust in me? And you say, well, I was at New Beginnings one day and they talked about it, but... I just didn't feel it was urgent enough for me. That's not going to be an answer that's going to help you at that stage. So I'm I'm sharing in love that there's a door open to receive this word today. And we wouldn't want anyone not to understand that and not to fully understand that. Receive the Lord. He's done all of this for us to demonstrate his love for you. And that you can receive forgiveness if you trust in him. And become part of this blessed body. I'm so thankful for the body of Christ. You know, you have your ups and downs in any walk in life, including the church. 
Did you know something? What would life be without be without the Lord in the church? It would be meaningless. Wouldn't it? For those of us that have tasted what it is, taste and see the Lord is good. When you've seen it, remember the church is made up of people and people have faults. People hurt each other. People do wrong things. Because even as Christians, we're not always surrendered fully to the Lord. We have sin still capable within us. So just like the church in Corinth, we can do more harm than good at times. But that doesn't mean it's wrong to be at church. That doesn't mean it's wrong. It actually means that we should do it the right way. Paul's challenging the Corinthians. They're meeting in the wrong way. And he's saying no. He didn't say don't stop meeting, just give up in church. He said fix what you're doing. Because the Lord wants us to get it right. And to be meeting the way he would want us to meet. It's in that heart that the word's been spoken. Because the body's a unit. We can't do without each other. Every person born, like somebody recently been born into uh, faith, as I was describing earlier on the last few weeks, all around the world there are people being born as new babies in Christ. And they've been added to the fellowship and they're going to a church somewhere. And we need each other. The scripture tells us, uh, 1 Corinthians, the very next chapter actually, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, I'll just read a small bit from it. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, that's verse 12, and though its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. So what were these... We're seeing there that spiritually speaking we are one body. But sometimes in practical levels the church doesn't act as, as one body. And so there were some reasons the, that were creating divisions amongst the people in Corinth. We know from earlier on in Corinthians there was a bit of a power struggle going on in, in the church in Corinth. Uh, it was a society where people who were wise were valued. And people who were rich were valued higher than those who were poor and not so knowledgeable does that not resemble Scotland today (laughs) so when the people met together the the divisions they took the divisions from the world and they brought them into the church and that's just a wee challenge for us all today do we bring some of the things from the world that divide people and bring them into the church because the church shouldn't be doing what the world does the church should be a place where it's level ground rich and poor Weak and strong. Young and old. Everyone. Together. One body. But they weren't doing that. They were following the customs of the world really. Worldly things. And uh, they were were then making favouritism. Which is again not something from God. Remember the disciples that said to uh, Jesus which one is going to be the greatest. And he said that's not for um, you to get involved in. You know, and often as people, we're like, who's, who's the best and who's not the best? And in, the, in God's, in the body of Christ, that's not what we're supposed to be like. Because the body needs every part. So, somebody might look at it from a worldly point of view and say, well, you're, you're, you're cleaning the place or something. And that person there's preaching. Uh, so, the preacher's more important than the cleaner. No, they're not. Because if somebody is serving the Lord... 
in what they're doing, if their heart is for Jesus, and if they're serving the body of Christ, if they're doing whatever they're doing, serving the body of Christ, it's the most important thing. And it's part of the body of Christ. You know, the illustration there is, what can the arm do without the... The, the body or whatever, you know, and it uses the physical illustration of a body. We can't do without certain bits of the body. I'm just going to do without my one leg today, you know, and things like that, and hop around for a day. It makes it easier for us to understand when we see a visual illustration like that, doesn't it? So, we can't do without Elizabeth. We can't do without uh, Arlene. We can't do without you. Because God's chosen to save you and to add you to a local church fellowship, and we need you. God needs you. The body needs you. And part of what divides people and causes people sometimes to leave is because we start elevating certain tasks above the other or certain people above the other. And they, they did that with their leaders in Corinth. They said, I follow Apollo, said one group, and the other group said, I'm following Paul. See, the church split <coughs> over two leaders. That's not godly, is it? What did they say? Paul says, who is Apollos and who is Paul? Who is Graham Adams and who is Hugh Kilpatrick? We're just servants, serving the Lord. And we're all one body. And he goes on to a great extent to talk about it in chapter 12. The emphasis is we're all this, we're all part of the body. I love that about church. But can I challenge you? That's something that's not always demonstrated in church. In our practices. We all should be valuing each other. We should all be encouraging each other. We should not have divisions over things like positions and uh, tasks and siding with certain things <clears throat> or looking down on people because they're from a different background or anything like that so ultimately yeah, it's only God that makes the work grow and the only way it's going to grow is if the church is a healthy body Alex spoke over the last few weeks very challenging sermons on revival and the word revival is a bringing back to life it talks about here in the passage of Corinthians about the believers, some of them being asleep. Did we ever think about the fact that maybe as believers in Christ we're falling asleep or we've totally fallen asleep? And there's a scripture that says, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. And one of the ways in which they were falling asleep was they were not recognizing the Lord around the table, they weren't putting the Lord first. So actually, spiritually speaking, there was a deadness there. <clears throat> and as Alex has been saying to us, revival comes from the church, not from the world. It comes from the church. <clears throat> and it's not about perfection, but it's about recognising priorities the way they should be. <clears throat> and part of that priority is the Lord, and it's about meeting with each other, and about looking after each other. About... <clears throat> not having unnecessary division division in the church is a hindrance to the genuine revival we've been speaking about and pride as Alec again emphasised pride is a key internal reason why we have division in the first place was that thing in Corinthians not about pride I'm rich and you're not I'm no more of the scriptures than you do I follow the better leader than you it's not to be prideful in God's house about anything. We might not recognise that in ourselves but there's times I see it in myself and I'm sure if we look maybe there's things there that we just need to root out and get rid of. <clears throat> Pride leads to the next thing which is selfishness. So as they met together they didn't eat and drink and wait on each other 
they all died for the, the food and just helped themselves. It says one remained hungry, another gets drunk. So there was divisions. Some commentators say the rich people brought lots of food and instead of sharing it with the congregation, they just took it to themselves. That's one way of, of viewing it and it seems to have a context there. The other one is maybe some people were later to there and some people arrived early so they decided to, to take of this food that was meant to be to represent the Lord and to share together and other people arrived and had none. They weren't sharing. They weren't looking out for each other. <clears throat> so there was pride dividing them and there was selfishness resulting in divisions between the, the, the believers. <clears throat> but even more importantly than those particular divisions, the, pro- the biggest problem was they weren't actually remembering the Lord at all. And it says there in the scripture, this is, is this not um, the Lord's Supper you eat? They weren't focused on that. They were focused on the food. <laughs> Because in their situation they'd have been having a full meal and they would have had bread and, and, and the wine represented there. But they were thinking about themselves and they were meeting their own needs. And again, can I just challenge, this isn't necessarily for, for here, but it's important in this church age. How many people do you hear saying, I didn't get anything at a church today? I've heard people leaving churches because I didn't get anything out of it today. Can I challenge that the other way? What did we bring to church today? What do we give? Because ultimately, we're there to give. We're there to worship Jesus. It's a giving thing. It's not what suits me. And I remember that some of the most kind of godly people I've ever met have been ones who not everything older people who had seen lots of things change in church and not everything was the way they would want it done the worship, the singing the you know, the, the different meetings the way they were conducted but they kept the main thing the main thing as long as we're remembering the Lord as long as we're focusing on the Lord that's the main thing some of these outer things that we sometimes disagree on and churches divide on are actually things that don't matter. And they're more because we're thinking about getting things for ourselves rather than coming to church saying, what can I give to him who's given everything for me already? It's a response coming to churches. Yeah, I can just encourage you with that. I do see that here. And it's a great thing to see. Natural worshipping and people sharing with each other. That I would believe the Lord, Lord wants us to go deeper into that. And again, that would apply to your service, coffee house, or wherever else you go. It's a, it's a giving thing, and there have been really good representations of that here. So, I'm just going to go, go quickly through the rest of this. Um, there was one commentator who looked at this passage, and I found the headings quite helpful, just to apply this, because we need to apply this today, how we should approach the table um, of the Lord. First of all, we have to look back. We have to look back. We have to remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us. So we look to the cross. We look to his body broken for us. We remember his blood shed for us. That he rose again from the dead and that he's coming back again. 
I've jumped onto the next one, which is look ahead. <laughs> so we look back. <laughs> ah, look back to what happened in the past. But look ahead. I was brought up in a brethren church and one of the nice things they did, every week they had the breaking of bread service and you would always hear these words, we remember the Lord until he comes again. And it's straight from the 1 Corinthians 11 passage. We proclaim his death until he comes again. Verse 26. So the very doing this is a proclamation of his death looking back and a proclamation that he's coming back again. Praise the Lord. Then there's a look within. This is the bit we don't really uh, like to do. I know I don't like to do it. But we have to look within. Every time we come, day and daily, we have to look at our relationship with the Lord. But particularly important when we think about communion, because it's focused here, and we're taught in the Word of God here, that when we come to the table, we have to, we have to really seriously look within ourselves. It says, examine yourselves. Examining ourselves isn't a thing we like to do. Who likes examining themselves? No hands, yeah, including me. Uh, it's not something that we like to do but it's something that spiritually we need to do before the Lord <clears throat> look within so what's the purpose of this examining ourselves and looking within well it's so that we can identify the things we need to confess so as believers in Jesus we have been forgiven for those sins when we came to him as a believer but we can interfere with our relationship with God and we do interfere with our relationship with God when we sin as a Christian so these times of looking within <clears throat> are a time when we are, like the psalmist said, search me, O God, and uh, look at my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Asking God to really reveal to him, is there anything in my life that I need to confess to you? And if there is, we take 1 John 1, which says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that was spoken to believers. So what we're talking about when we come to the table is believers examining themselves before they take. Not saying, oh I can't take because I'm a sinner. Because if we said that, then none of us would be here. But what we are saying is we're taking some reflection before the Lord. And often we'll do it in the church here. Take a couple of minutes as we'll do later. To just ask the Lord to just speak to you about anything he would want you to confess. And confess it to him. Now I want you to remember what I said at the beginning. Communion for believers is a good thing. It's something which the Lord wants us to do. He just wants us to do it in a way in which is right. So don't go and do this when, I, when we come to this part and think, because of all Graham said today, I can't take communion. Right? Because the only way any of us can take communion is A, trusting in Jesus as our Saviour, and B, coming and remembering the Lord in this way we were prescribed and confessing our sins to the Lord right and I'm only saying the reason I'm saying this today is I think it's really Paul preaches here in the word of God this is God's word to us and he says that people are being judged because they're not doing it right we don't want that to happen to ourselves you know because we're not discerning the Lord properly or because we're not confessing um, we don't want that it's meant to be a good thing but it can be a bad thing if we come and approach it in the wrong way. <clears throat> None of us is perfect. It's by grace we've been saved. It's the gift of God so that nobody can boast about it. 
this, is more, this examining is more about being honest with God and not coming falsely and just saying God I know I'm a sinner I know there's this in my life as a Christian and I'm confessing it to you and I'm receiving your forgiveness end of story instead of the believer, like take the scenario they were in there was believers who were openly sinning and not recognising it openly sinning even in the meeting and not recognising it so it's obvious that they were doing wrong it's not about being perfect it's about being honest and we have to come to the Lord's table prepared this is an opportunity for us to be blessed spiritually to be wakened up instead of being asleep to have wonderful fellowship with the Lord and each other when we approach communion with the right attitude are we happy about that? yeah some of the most special times in church are actually times when we have communion and the Lord's presence is just so evident at such a special time so we look back we look ahead, we look within we look around we need to recognise the body of Christ and that's again where the symbols help us as we've said earlier on the symbols, the bread represents Jesus' body and the cup represents his blood that was shed for each one of us the only danger is that we would enter into it without understanding that and take of it without recognising that that represents the body of Christ and that represents the body, the blood that was shed for us and it is quite strong words there in Corinthians it says if you eat and drink of that without really recognising what it is you're doing um, you're drinking, eating and drinking judgement on yourselves so that's the reason I'm teaching about it today <clears throat> so what would it mean not to discern the body there's two things not recognising the Lord as we've talked about a lot today not recognising his body broken for us but also not recognising the body of Christ and these were the two problems that would summarise the problem in the church in Corinth wouldn't they? A. They didn't come to really recognise the Lord in the, at his table but B. They also didn't recognise each other and they were actually uh, being quite inconsiderate to each other But we are in a place today where we're the body of Christ. There's a unity and there's a fellowship. Remember the the hymn, An Army of Ordinary People? It didn't say they are an army of perfect people. It said an army of ordinary people. A kingdom where love is the key. A city, a light to the nations. One with the promise are we. These were ordinary people that met in the church. The disciples were ordinary men who knew they were sinners. Ordinary women who knew they were sinners. But they knew their saviour. So communion doesn't have to be the way it was in the church in Corinth. The Lord Jesus has called us to come and share in communion together. United in Christ. Confessing our sins to him and remembering him and his sacrifice for us so let's just be honest we'll we'll all just do that I'm going to take just a few minutes just for us to be quiet just be honest before the Lord confessing anything that the Lord would bring to our minds 
and recognising him and just thinking about the sacrifice he's made for each one of us. Let's take a few minutes.